Okay, we'd like to welcome everyone to the second episode of our podcast. The title is Still to be Determined. Still working on it, still wanting to find what we like. But today we are covering... Oh, for reason, I'm your host, Matt, here with my co-host. Stefan. Less Man. co-host, more interviewee. <laughs> yes, you can't tell, but he's sitting there looking like he's about to ask me 30 questions on 60 Minutes. Please. NPR. Oh, okay. Excuse me. <laughs> but we are here <clears throat> to... Today's episode is talking about films and shows that helped shape us or inspired us from our childhood all the way up to who we are now and kind of helped inspire who we became. Because, you know, pop culture has a lot of influence and inspiration on everyone growing up. Some more than others. This is true. We're also gigantic fucking nerds, so this is about to get... Real nerdy, real fast. Yeah, nerds. Uh, I think, unfortunately, uh, we're going to out ourselves as weebs here. Uh, much more weeb than nerd, but... I mean, fair. It's hard because we're so multifaceted. Yeah. You know, he says, staring at a shelf full of Pokemon. <laughs> yeah. Look, I got at least two Pokemon tattoos on me right now. <laughs> I have no tattoos. However, I own a lot of memorabilia. <laughs> I'm still trying to convince him to get a tattoo. Fingers crossed it's going to happen soon. Keep dreaming. I need to lose at least 20, 30 pounds before I consider this. Just do pre-workout. It'll be fine. <laughs> but back on topic. Um, starting with me, one of the earliest ones I know growing up and a hobby of mine that's always been there has been dinosaurs. Loved them ever since I was a child. Just fascinated by the idea of, you know, you see a tiny little lizard walking around and then you think, oh, Something existed that is five to 20 times bigger than you of this. And that has just blown my mind all my life. And that further branches to the next one I have of Godzilla, which, yeah, I have an entire half sleeve tattoo of that on my arm. So I'm just a little bit of a fan. He does. It's very it's 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 pretty cool. But that is always just as far as, you know inspiration all that goes that's always just maybe look at stuff that just seems unnatural just so fascinating to me something just larger than life used to be here like where we are now there used to be i don't know 65 million years ago this was i want to say stomping grounds for triceratopses and occasional spinosauruses give or take we had T-Rexes in the Midwest. We did have T-Rexes in the Midwest. I think we had more of like the Baryonyx Spinosaurus stuff from, because this used to be kind of all the time. Spinosaurus like, was made up. I thought it was made up by Jurassic Park. No, nah, it's real. Oh, it's a real dino? Yeah, no, it's real. We had, there used to be a actual full-fledged fossil of it, but that got, uh, if memory serves, that got blown up in World War II. That was the most complete skeleton they ever had, but that just got blown up in World War II. How'd it get blown up in World War II? Uh, if it was found here. Was it not found here? No, well, Pangea. Oh, that's true. Basically, basically, the whole area we used to live in kind of used to look like Florida. Okay. So, why, so but why Godzilla, though? The dinosaur is Jurassic Park, I expect. Yeah. But, why, but why does Godzilla necessarily speak to young Matt? It's just the next evolution of dinosaurs, really. It's like, cool. So we have a dinosaur. 
But what if it was even bigger and breathed fire? How it's just the cool factor. Yeah, it's just something that stuck with me for years. We, or I started with my dad and my brother. We would watch the old movie marathon reruns on the Sci Fi Channel years and years and years ago, and that's just something that just stuck with me for years. Like, just I always thought it was cool. Always wanted to get the next movies coming out. It just not so much like inspire me. It just I thought it was something that was always just amazing from like just fandom point of view and everything. Ooh, hi, Kitty. We were interrupted by our other co-host. Say hi. He said hi. (laughs) But no, that was just... It's been with me all my years. It also just ties back to fond memories of when I was a kid, you know, growing up with my family on the weekends. We would just sit down. We'd watch this movie reruns because... So for you, it's more of the nostalgia associated with it. It's the memories associated with Godzilla. Yeah, mostly. Like, depending on the movie you watch, there's deeper messages behind it. But me growing up as a kid, I never saw that. Right, never, you never understood. I never understood that until yeah. like you know recent life. Otherwise, I see like, ooh, what's this? Well, I just watched Godzilla just drop kick Megalon doing a sliding drop kick halfway down a mountain. I didn't need <laughs> yeah, more inspiration. It just looked than that. cool. Yeah, yeah, it looked amazing. I didn't need more inspiration than that. That makes sense. One of the, I think one of the parts that blew my mind. First, I thought was great was just you realize, oh yeah, all this is just a guy in suits with wires. Like that was one thing I always thought was cool, at least creativity wise, was just what they could do with the sets. Yeah, because we didn't have special effects back then. No, and that's like miniatures, pyrotechnics, and wires in a suit, and they can make it look so amazing. Yeah, I while I was not as into it as he was, I do I do recall seeing some of those older. Uh, Godzilla's uh, shows because I watched um, when I was a kid the two that I remember most was uh, Mecha Godzilla versus Godzilla and I think it was King Caesar yes and then the other one was Godzilla and Anguirus versus um, Ghidorah and Gigan yes. yeah Gigan yeah Gigan because that actually bring that up recently that was actually this year was the 50th anniversary of that movie. 50th anniversary of that movie. Yeah. I need to pop that in and watch that sometime. Because I can, I can tell you, same thing same thing as you. I do not remember... I remember so vaguely what these movies are about. I know that there are aliens involved. Yeah. Uh, that, I know aliens. that there's a giant Godzilla, fake Godzilla. It was a tower. Yep. And I know that Godzilla didn't like the tower. And that was... I couldn't tell you what any of the movie's about. <laughs> I just remember Godzilla fights Gigan and and Ghidorah. Yes. And I remember uh, Godzilla over-the-shoulder judo throw Ghidorah. Ghidorah, Yes. Yeah, that's it. That's all I remember. And that was one of the things I loved, especially in the newest Godzilla vs. Kong. They just went, they just leaned back into that cheesiness. Mm -hmm. And I loved it so great. Like, what did he do? He, He breathed to the center of the earth. Did we need to explain it? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's one of those, like, I almost wish I could go back and watch some of these and be like, because I know that there's a story to some of this. Like, the humans, like, they're there and they are they have a they have a purpose. Yeah. But we don't, we didn't care. No. Ten years, we, we were, I was probably six or seven at the time. And I'm I sure was you like, were around the same age. Yeah. So it's like, we didn't care what the humans were there to do. No, we were there to watch monsters. 
Also, um, I know you watched it as well because you grew up watching Hanna Barbera as well, the old Hanna Barbera cartoon. Yes. Oh, from the depths. Yeah. Thirty stories high. Yeah. Yeah. No. I love. I love. I loved that cartoon as a kid. Couldn't tell you what any of the scientist guys were there to do. I just remember I did not like Godzuki, and I really loved anytime Godzilla was on screen. <laughs> exactly, and that's what matters. But what about you, sir? So if we're gonna go. My early pick. Your early. My early pick for a piece of for a film that really spoke to me as a child, for whatever reason, is Pokemon the third movie. And I know that that's a really odd pick, because personally, my pick would have been two thousand. But I liked two thousand. But for some reason, as an adult, when I think back on Pokemon the third movie. There are so many elements of that movie that kind of choke me up a little bit. That make me feel just very emotional, hmm. you know. As a as a man, <laughs> I'm not I'm not that kind of guy. <laughs> I'm a very in touch with his emotions guy. I go to therapy. Um, no, <laughs> I, I go, uh, so this this movie is like the is the Pokemon movies, especially the early ones, actually have kind of a bit of darkness to them. There's just a tinge of darkness. So you have what? The first movie, which is Mewtwo. He's a clone of Mew. And he's like, he doesn't understand what his purpose in the world is. These scientists just made him and they didn't give, they like gave absolutely no regard, no respect for life. So Mewtwo has to force his way into this world. Also, yeah, the end of that movie hits you with one of the hardest quotes there is. (laughs) Yeah, it's not what you do with the gift of life that determines who you are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, what is it? The circumstances of our birth are irrelevant. It's what you choose to do with your life that determines who you are. Exactly. Yes, hard-hitting quote. Yeah. Great quote. It's great. Pokemon the 2000, which is the second movie, where you have Lugia and Ash is the chosen one, and you kind of have this whole what is the burden of responsibility type thing. Yeah. So um, you know, that's the one that sticks out for me more from my childhood is, actually, I tell you, honestly, the first one sticks out more for me, but the reason it sticks out more for me is, I think, honestly, the marketing from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember the marketing. I remember the marketing from that much more vividly, but I do remember it sitting in the movie theater having a more, I don't know if impact is the right word, but mm-hmm. more response from 2000 than I did of the first three movies. See, I will say, I think 2000 probably has some of the better action sequences. Here's why I like the third movie the most. Because it's so much more personal than 2000 or the first movie. So where 2000 and the first movie take this very, this very, this very macro view, you know, Mewtwo trying to determine what is the meaning of life and Pokemon 2000 dealing with prophecy and world ending disaster. The third movie doesn't have any of that. The third movie is purely about... A little girl who misses her parents, who have been taken from her, and the didn't way that get, she deals get, with that... Didn't they get wormholed by the unknown or something? Well, it's implied that the mother is, and the father is also, like, we see that happen. But it's a little girl coping with trauma. And that's just, it's so small scale when you look at it. It's like, yeah, what's more personal than that? You know, this little girl who's trying to, she's going through, she's going through some tough stuff and you can see, cause they're trying to portray Molly as 
a villain, but she's not really a villain. While she's kind of an antagonist, she's like a co-antagonist. Well, with it's not so much as a villain, as more so as yeah. The she's vi- more an antagonist than a villain. Yeah. Well, it's, it's yeah. like instead of the, like, I honestly wouldn't really say there's a villain. It's basically you gave a child basically the keys to a nuclear <laughs> weapon. What were you expecting to happen? But like, I just remember as a kid, there's so many, there's there's this one, there's these two. I lo- first off, this is like the first time in Pokemon where we get dynamic Pokemon battles, like straight up trainer battles, because you have the opening battle between Ash and I forget what the name of the of the girl who gives him her Poke Gear is, but that's a real a really good action sequence. Then we have is that the Molly that op- versus Brock. Is that the one that opens up where Ash and Pikachu are fighting the person with the Quagsire? Yeah, she okay. has a Quagsire. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I remember the I remember the Quagsire. Just- the Quagsire just eats a Thunderbolt and then just smile. <laughs> yeah. It's a okay. great it's a great sequence. Then you have Brock versus Molly, which every time I remember that battle, for some reason, I just I always remember Molly when she says Teddy Ursa is more than just cute. Teddy Ursa dynamic punch. And for some reason, that memory stands out so vividly. Yeah, it's because Molly, literally, Molly whopped Brock. Yeah. And then you have Molly versus Misty in an underwater battle, which is just very dynamic. And it looks very good. So, you know, like, I remember that happening. Gun to my head, don't remember what two Pokemon were involved in that. Kingdra and Mantine? Yeah, Kingdra and Mantine. So. Who had the Kingdra? Molly did. Molly, Molly King- calls Kingdra and Mantine. Okay. Um, okay, I was like, and because Misty uses Goldeen and Starmie. Star you? No, she gave her Starmie to her sisters. Okay. Um, but then we go from these kind of fun battles that have some stakes behind them. Then we go to the dark crystal room, where where well, Molly like- and Ash's mom are just sitting there. Yeah. Well, that's where like the stuff is expanding from the unknown, from all the side effects of. <laughs> Whatever that is. I don't know if they were really technically explained. What what the unknown are doing? Yeah. The unknown are just... They're more portrayed as kind of like a force of nature. They're just here because they were called by Molly. Yeah. she had the, the tablets. Oh, yeah, because her, her uh, parents were like, what, the archaeologists that found yeah, all the tablets. Yeah, her father of... was, a, was an archaeologist. And one of the things they gave her was just the tablets with the unknown. And that called the unknown to her. And she just wanted a friend. And the unknown were like, sure, we'll be your friend. And then that's how she created Entei. But then we go to this very dark crystal room where for Ash, the stakes are very incredibly high. He's here to protect his mom. Well, yeah, him. And from Ash's perspective, you know, his mom's been kidnapped by Entei. And now he finds out, wait, but Molly created Entei? So they're in this really interesting situation where they're trying to save the girl from a relationship that she has created herself. And it, it's so interesting, especially when you have the battle between Charizard yeah. and Entei. Yeah. <clears throat> but then when we get past all that and we get to the end of the movie, for whatever reason, Entei standing up to the unknown and turning to Molly and saying, the last thing I can do for you is to get you out of this place. Well, yeah, because the <clears throat> well, the Entei wasn't brought to be a friend. Entei was brought basically to be her father. Yeah, it was to be her father. It was her placement. So, but Molly says, but I, but we, it's so hard to get out. And Entei simply responds to her, you can do anything you wish. If you believe in me, 
there is nothing I cannot do. Yeah. And it's just so, it's a very powerful message to me that, you know, if you, cause believing in Entei is simply just believing in herself. Yeah. And it's, it's just, it's very powerful message to me, you know, yes, what you're going through is hard, but you have to believe that you can make it through it. Mm-hmm. And that's just a very powerful message to me. And I love Pokemon. So, yeah, if you, you know. like, like I said earlier, I have two Pokemon tattoos. We're in a room with... Yeah, there's Pokemon plushies, all of the video games. Okay, I do think he. there is no lie. Every video game behind me. Yeah. So, I love Pokemon, and I love the third movie most of all. But then, we start getting it as we get older. As we get older... But also, these were some of the movies, but they're also, you know, as well, shows. One of the ones that always stuck with me for years and years and years was Power Rangers. And you can see a theme here of just some of the, like, Japanese media imported over to the U.S. that just stuck with me. Because Japanese know how to tell stories. Yes, they do. But for me, like... On the subject of like you know believing in yourself and stuff like that, Power Rangers is always great for that for me. Because like any, like even when you're younger, anything could be like much more rationalized as you know you're just fighting a monster, and that's how you know younger me and occasionally sometimes current me will rationalize it. It's like no, you just the issue you have. Yes, hi, kitty. We're still saying hi to our second co-host. <laughs> I don't know what his problem is. He's only bugging us because we're doing something. <laughs> well, he wants to be on the podcast. <sighs> you do not get top billing. <laughs> but that is a show that has stuck with me through years. So why Power Rangers? Is it simply... Because I, I figure for you, it's at this point, you know, you're a little older. So yeah. it can't just be the, the karate. <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's so... Part of it, part of it's you know the action scenes, the um, the Zords, the monsters, all that stuff. But I always liked from it was the first series up until I think it was the fourth one where it was uh, Power Rangers in space, to where if you start from the one the first group of Rangers all the way up to the end there with Zordon, it's basically a coming of age story. Uh, you know, you have these high schools, and they're you know you deal with high school shit. High school is also not as good as it makes you look on TV, no matter who the <laughs> fuck you ask. <laughs> yeah, but it shows like I always looked at that as like maturing and stuff, and trying to like balance a, I guess a work life relation balance because like you know they never showed them like having full time jobs and everything, but your job was you know you got to go out and save the world and everything. You have to try and balance that part of your life with everything else and also there were more series throughout the years and stuff like that first four was the one that was the longest cohesive story i think but i still watch through the years and stuff and uh, i'm trying to think one of the other ones that really stuck with me through the years was uh uh speed rescue i don't know if you do you remember that one Mm-mm. So there was the first. I haven't watched any Power Rangers. Really? 
I've never seen a single episode of any Power Rangers. My mom wouldn't let me. Huh. For my mom, it was she didn't she didn't like the idea she didn't like the little boys always running around doing the karate moves. Oh, okay. She didn't want her kids doing that. Ah, so didn't want to break anything inside the house. Yeah. (laughs) But we were really hard on our stuff, anyways. Trust me. I mean, yeah. It was just something she didn't like. Me and my brother learned how to patch a dry patch drywall holes very young age. (laughs) Yeah. So no, this is me asking you questions because I'm like, because I don't I don't know what it is because to me it looks kind of you know silly. Because it is. It is. Just a little bit. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It is. But, um, like I said, uh, one of the later ones, Lightsy Rescue, this was the first time instead of having, you know, it's like, oh, it's a group of, you know, teenagers that do all stuff. It's adults. Mm -hmm. And they, instead of, you know, trying to have just basically recruit child soldiers. (laughs) Right. They actually picked uh, five people from specific fields. And basically, it's the equivalent of a first responder team. But with Power Ranger abilities, like it's more so what would it look like if you gave your firefighters, your medics, all that stuff, all of this equipment, like what could they actually solve? And the answer was a lot. And I mean, yeah, you you know, you still have, you know, you're fighting the monsters, all that stuff. It's great and cool. But you would also see that, you know, if something like this actually existed, it could change a lot of things. Right, within, the, within yeah. the confines of its story. So for you, it was the coming-of-age story and kind of the idea that, you know, what is it? Uh, great men and women can change the world if given... Or yeah. can fix the world if given the proper yeah. accoutrement. It, it, it's, it's like the old, you know... The old adage of, like, you know, if you try hard enough, you can fix... Like, you can make the world a better place. That's, like, that kind of theme that pervades through, like, you know, all the younger just action shows and everything. It's like, that theme is just something that stuck with me. And the first one that ever showed that to me was Power Rangers. Because I know Power Rangers did it, because it does have that element of, you know, responsibility and, like, um, what is it? Um, Stewardship. Yeah. Because there's also been, and they'll occasionally try and tackle, like, some other subjects. Um, One of the primary ones was Time Force, and they, that was them tackling a basically prejudice from the villains of that show were people that were basically afflicted from mutations from the future and stuff. And it's like, in their time in the future, they were outcasts. They basically had less rights and everything. Mm -hmm. So the main villain, while he basically was a murderous crazed person where he started from, you can understand why Mm -hmm. it's like, I didn't become this monster because I wanted to become society threw me in the gutter. So, I'll drag you all down with me. Make your back. See, you know, what's interesting, um, so for me, Higurashi is what kind of showed me some of that. So Also, this, on one second real quick. Uh-huh. Um, R.I.P. Jason David Frank. Yes, I was, because I, 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 that's why Power Rangers, I know anything about it is because I know the Blue Ranger recently. Green. Oh, it was the Green Ranger? Yeah, the Green Ranger and White Ranger, he was, yeah. he was the one that, kind of helped carry the series on for a while. He was the fan favorite one. He was the one everyone loved. And he made many later guest appearances in further series. Um, One of the ones where he actually was the teacher for the next generation coming up, Mm -hmm. which was a really nice spin on everything. Because that was was something 
an American exclusive. Like they didn't do that in Japan. How that story was written. Really? So there were differences in the localization too. Yeah, for <laughs> the for the Lightspeed Rescue, they the sixth ranger, the additional ranger, that didn't exist in Japan. That hmm. was something that America took the risk on and said, "We're going to do this." What if there was an older ranger who taught them the taught them the right way? Because interesting. Yeah, because it was like it was a pattern that like you know you have the five team and eventually it'll add on one or two more. In Japan, they never had that on that series, and they're like, "Well, this worked great for the other ones. Why don't we just make this ourselves?" <laughs> And honestly, it was a hit. Hmm. But no, Jason A. Frank, uh, definitely a larger inspiration in my younger life and will be missed. Back to you, sir. Well, so before I jump the gun. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I kind of just... No, it's okay. (laughs) So, because I jumped the gun. um, For me, what kind of taught me some of these elements is a little, little... an odd pick i'm sure hikarashi so i do have a little bit of a sadistic streak in me so that's why you know this uh this show did get me in with a little bit of that but it also taught empathy now i will start by saying this i have never seen yeah and don't know shit about this so hikarashi which is also like americanized as when they cry um which is Higurashi is supposed to be, I believe the hiragana translation is when this when the cicadas cry. Um it's a horror anime. Um it fo- it's set in kind of this uh this time period in kind of the late eighties Japan and it focuses on a group of kids in high school varying ages. Um but they're trapped in this town and for a while, we don't know what's going on. But there's essentially a repeating series of events that, you know, you have about five episodes of of the of the events happening. Then you have the next, it resets, and then you have another five episodes, but things keep changing, but there's similarities between it. So, murderous Groundhog Day. Yeah. So, but... <clears throat> Between the brutality of it all, because it is a very brutal show, you do learn over the course of the anime, the main character has to, the main boy character has to kind of come to grips with, you know, this empathy. Because the one character who do know, who does know what's going on, but can't do anything about it, because if she, first off, she's trapped, she's like essentially five years old. Also, yeah, I, I guess basically like eight or something. I guess basically like run through the plot real quick because once in, so no idea what's going on. If I'm going to, if I'm going to be high level, uh, this is heavy spoilers. Okay, <laughs> if you haven't seen it, I do kind of recommend it, but um, it's, how old is know, the show? It's pretty old. Okay, so, so I think we're past spoiler concern. I, I know, but yeah. All right, so the there's one girl who is immune to the time reset. Basically, anytime the time resets, she remembers everything that happened previous. But, you know, she's eight. So there's only so much she can do. Um, she's aware of what's going on. Who who goes crazy this time? She She's lived through many timelines and she's always tried like, okay, what can I do this time? Maybe it's a little different. But she's trapped in this timeline because she can't remember anything that happens immediately immediately before her death. And then, of course, after, because she's dead. <clears throat> so she doesn't know why she keeps dying. And she knows she's central to the plot somehow, but she doesn't understand 
how to get there, but she can't break this cycle. She's trying, but she needs other people to do it. Okay. So what eventually ends up happening is each time one of the one someone goes crazy. So for the poster child for the most brutal in this show is uh Shion Shion Sonozaki. She uh she's the one that starts, you know, kidnapping people, torturing people and doing all kinds of crazy brutal things. But the reason she does is because, you know, her lo- her lover, the person she loves, mm-hmm. like goes missing, but she doesn't know why and no one will tell her why. And so eventually what happens is she sees, she bears witness to one of the, the main boy character hurting the feelings of her sister. She sees him kind of try to, try to offer a kindness, but she, she plays the aloof card okay, and then gets rejected because, oh, she's being aloof. This is why you should always never play the aloof card. And then she just turns and gives the, the gives the toy to someone else. So later she's talking with her sister. I really wanted the toy. I really wanted, I really wanted this. And I just, I didn't have the courage to say that I wanted it. I want him to see me as a girl, but I just feel like he only thinks of me as a boy. It's a tomboy. So of course her sister talks her up and whatever. So then the sister goes and kind of flirts with the boy a little bit to try and make her sister jealous. But all that does is trigger her resentment for not knowing where her boyfriend is. Man, what a great fucking plan that was. Yeah. So it triggers her resentment, and so she starts just killing people. So... I feel like there's a leap in logic there, but go on. Many episodes later, (laughs) we get... Like, the show is setting up this exact premise again. Like, you're seeing... But we're seeing it from the girl... The immortal girl's perspective. Okay. They're resetting, they're setting the plot again, and the immortal girls goes, yep, and then here's what's going to happen next. But then something happens. The boy character makes a different decision this time. This time he says, oh, here you go, and gives it to the right person. Mm -hmm. And then she goes, wait, this hasn't happened before. And then she asks, why did you do that? She said, oh, well, because she likes girly things too. And that's when just the boy character suddenly has this huge hit from deja vu from the other timelines where he did make the wrong decision and suddenly he's made the right one and now we can finally break the cycle so this the moral (laughs) of this tale ultimately is understanding other people's feelings that empathy is important that ultimately the reason why this keeps happening is because we don't understand how each other feels because the main villain, who I haven't revealed at all, her whole thing is she's lived just this entire life of hardship and it's been difficult and you know empathy has been kind of just taken from her. It's never been given to her. And because she's never known it, she perpetuates the, the hurt forward. See, kids, communication is key. Yes. This is why knowing, understanding people and talking it out is always important. I'll say, I'm not here to belittle any of this of uh, the show you're talking about but it sounds like this entire thing could have been solved if someone just sat down and had a fucking conversation yes which you know <clears throat> is unfortunate <laughs> but you know what show does <laughs> do a much better job of driving the point home very you know in a language you and i understand giant robots exactly gurren lagan is one we both put on our list oh of course 
because the show's fucking amazing. So for me personally, this is my favorite anime of all time. I don't know. I, it, it's definitely up there for me. It's at least top three. Minimum top three. Because it is really good. I love everything Trigger has produced. I'm just going to say I love Studio Trigger. Pretty much anything they make is is awesome because did Kill the Kill and Gurren Lock. Did you ever get around to watching Cyberpunk? I did watch Cyberpunk. Okay. I liked it. I didn't think it was as good as everybody's saying, but I think that's a me thing. I don't yeah, that's fair. Because I recognize, you know, no, it, it is a beautiful show and it looks really good. The story didn't resonate with me so much, but I understand why it's good. And I, I have nothing but good things yeah. to say. And about since it's it. still more recent, no spoilers or anything. But for me personally, that ending will punch you in the fucking feels. Yeah, no, it, it, it's <laughs> it's a rough show to watch. It, it's a good show. It, it's rough from the emotional perspective, you know, in the same way that Arcane is. Why didn't I put Arcane on this list? Um, we'll talk about. <laughs> I'm it changing time. my list. <laughs> anyway, yes, no, Cyberpunk, great show. But we're talking about Gurren Laga. We are talking about Gurren Laga. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> I'm amazed you forgot the arcane on your list because <laughs> it's so recent, and I was trying to go backwards. Fair. But all right, Higurashi, not Higurashi, Gurren Lagann. Stay on subject. Robot drill. <clears throat> all right. So, what about Gurren Lagann really spoke to you? What was it about Gurren Lagann? Because this came out when we were. Uh, it came out late when we, teens. It came out when we were still in high school. Yeah, and I I didn't watch it until I was about twenty or so. Yeah, so I did not watch it until I. I had graduated high school, so about the same, so about the same time, roughly okay. the same time, maybe a year or two later than you. Um, I remember, I remember probably flipping through and seeing an episode or two on Adult Swim when I was younger, but mm-hmm. just didn't really resonate with me or click with me until later in life. Uh, no, the simple fact of the matter is, uh, is basically the motto from the show is, "Kick logic to the curb and do the impossible." Yeah, and that is the premise for how basically the entire universe of that show operates. Yes, because each each time they fight a new threat, it's an impossible threat. So, But they just say, well, sure, we can't beat it. We're going to do it anyway. Because yeah. we have to. Yeah. And also, one of the... Um, like, that aspect of it is great. And uh, one of my personal characters... All right, you're going to put on the microphone real quick. You got to catch him first. Oh, you caught him. Say hi to the crowd. Nope. No. See, now because you're demanding it, he's not going to give it to you. If you can't tell, we finally caught our other furry co-host. <sighs> but the one of the main dynamics that always stuck with me that I appreciated the most about it was between the two main characters, uh, Kamina and Simo. And it was more so for me, Resident Evil, because I am the younger brother in my family. I have an older brother. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he speaks to you more. It's interesting. Yeah. But, well, for me, personally, like, Kamina would be, like, the person you want to be. And going through that journey, you see, basically, like, you know, Simo becoming him. Mm -hmm. Becoming that person everyone relies on everything. But the, I guess, support that Kamina provides for him as, like, that older brother figure and how that's presented is one of the things that just resonated with me the most. It's interesting. So... I took away pretty much the exact same uh, takeaway. However, mine's a little different. So the re- so Gurren Lagann and Kill a Kill are both on my list. They're both like they're both in my top three best anime. Um, <clears throat> but I I take kind of a similar lesson from both, which is this idea of the inner strength. You yeah. know, you have to because 
the the tagline I took away. So you took kick logic to their curb and do the impossible. Yeah, I took uh, don't believe in yourself. The other tagline: believe in the Simone. Believe in the me who believes in, in you. you. Yeah. Yes. This idea that because and, and it's a quote like because it sounds dumb, right? Oh, it sounds don't corny. believe in yourself. Believe in the me who believes in you. Oh, it sounds corny as shit. Yeah, but. But the idea behind it being, you know, you don't have to believe in yourself. You don't have to have this. You have to believe in the fact that everyone around you does believe in you. So it's kind of this reverse way of saying you should believe in yourself simply because others do as well. Yeah, and you even, know, yeah, even if you don't realize it, <laughs> your your friends and your support structure next to you, they all believe in yes, you. Yes, they all think you can and do it. And then looking at the moment, they're all, they believe in you and they're looking to you. And, and this is this is a, a refrain that is actually very common in our friend group because there's there's a lot of times where you know any any of us all of us have done it where we're just down on ourselves and not feeling good. Yeah. Oh, there's there's plenty of times that <laughs> if I knew it wouldn't result in a fight, I'd be giving you the old uh, grit your teeth. <laughs> yes, <laughs> let me see you grit those teeth, and then it's followed up by a cold clock to the face. Yeah, and then unfortunately, in real world, that'd be followed up by. Shit, now I got to pay the hospital bill. I ain't got that money. <laughs> but, you know, we, we've all at some points turned to each other and said, I believe in you. Yeah. So I don't believe in myself. Well, that's okay. Because I believe in you and I think you can do this. Yeah. And, that's, and you should go do this. And then also it has one of the other of my personal favorite tropes in any form of media anywhere, which is found family. Yes, the found family. Yep. Found, found family is a trope that I have loved have always loved and will continue to love i love the idea of the found family because it's one of those you know i fortunately (laughs) grew up in a pretty stable household you know was was my childhood amazing no but whose childhood is exactly amazing you know there are little bumps here and there i mean as but i had a very stable household and from what i know so did you i did as well yes yeah so but the idea that we can take away this idea of, you know, look, just because your family wasn't perfect, you can find that elsewhere. Yeah. And I'm finding more and more in my adult life that there's actually way more people who had like had it really rough. I'm I'm gonna, me. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you this right now, and this is something my father told me. And my father, he will um he sees a counselor and a therapist uh every so often. And when he sat down with his therapist, he told him that usually on Sundays, like, you know, once a week, or we try to most of the time, usually happens, uh, we get together for lunch or dinner or something once a week. And the therapist told him that for a lot of the clients that she has, that is baffling. Like, that is so out of the ordinary, so irrelevant that at this point in our life where with my parents and me and my brother, as old as we are, we still have a stable relationship. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here wondering, is, is, it, is it really that odd? Like, It is. In a lot of cases, it is. Because I, I think, because, you know, it's not, the, I was, there was definitely a point in my later teens where I was definitely butting heads with my dad much more often than I wasn't. Like, there was still love there. Yeah. But, you know, there, I mean, are just, there are differences, you know? Well, you're, yeah, a teen, I, you're a teen, well, you're yeah, discovering I, what it means to be a man and to be your own person, yeah. and so of course you're going to butt heads with your parents. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's natural. I mean, honestly, I had that whole natural thing. The only thing that didn't happen was you get to the point where I've had other people say, it's like, well, time to go fight my dad. 
<laughs> yes. And I've run into these people too, where <laughs> where the relationship just gets so broken and it, they can't, there's no fixing it anymore. Yeah. You know, I've, and I, I work, I work with people who, who've run into this. I've, I've talked with people about this, you know, the idea that, you know, your parental figures are just completely written out of your life and you're good with it is something that's very, it's very hard for me to grapple with because my parents are still very much in my life. I live less than a mile from them. Like, yeah, I currently, (laughs) while I'm trying to get funds for my own place, I'm fucking living with them right now. Yeah. And you couldn't do that unless you had a good relationship. Oh yeah. Right. We didn't have a good relationship. I'd be sleeping on your couch right now. It's like, you know, there are times where, you know, we have someone in our friend group, you know, she, like, her her mom at this point, they've, they've had a huge is, is, falling is, out. Is basically written out of her life. And to me, it's so hard to just openly insult your mother because I'm like, I would never do that. My mom is precious to me and I love my mother. Yeah. And it's so hard for me to hear other people do that, but I also have to remember my mom's not all, my mom's not like other moms. Yeah. Well, it's it's different from my perspective because like me and my folks, we have a great relationship. But my father and his folks, that's just like going through a minefield. Like yeah. right now. Like that, and so I think your dad, having lived through that, he's like, I'm gonna be a good dad. Well, yeah, that that a hundred percent is basically the main reason that. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think my dad had a somewhat similar. Yeah. But back to giant robots. <laughs> well, that's what that's what yeah. Gurren Lagann ta- teaches us. But then when you go from Gurren Lagann to... All right, now, so, you made the bridge earlier from Gurren Lagann to Kill a Kill. Yes. Now, I have, I've seen the show. I have not watched it as many times as you have. So <laughs> I, t- I took away more from it, basically, like, you know, similar things of, like, family and also just the more so over-the-top animation. I will say the action was more, more appealed to that for me. Oh, but the I, action in its top tier. Well, yeah, but tell me, an, tell me a trigger show that doesn't that so, has bad action. Yes. But you, I know, took away a much more uh, a personal thing from that. So, I don't necessarily relate so much to a lot of the uh, the standard coming of age boy stories for some reason. Just they don't necessarily resonate with me the way Kill the Kills did. It's because you didn't fight a lot when you were younger. <laughs> I guess I don't know because there's but there's a lot of fighting in that show. Oh, uh, I was I will tell you right now, it resonated more for me and my brother because we would knock the crap out of each other. <laughs> I mean, I fought with my brothers too, but we definitely did not get nearly as physical as as you two still do. So yeah, we um uh, sidebar real quick. Um, we at a very young age learned how to patch drywall from uh, hucking, fucking, chucking uh, broom handles and pool cues at each other. Yeah. It was all done with love, mind yeah. you. But none of that happened in my house. But so for Kill a Kill, what it's a coming of age story, and obviously, you know, it's a very feminine one as well. Um, I make it no secret I'm not your man's man. <laughs> um, I I do identify as a man. I use he him pronouns and all that bu- and all that bullshit. Um, but for some reason, Kill a Kill speaks to me more. Just because of, I really enjoy stories of sisterhood. I love stories that focus very much on on the family aspect uh, and this relationship you have with your siblings. They're very, they mean, I don't know why they're so important to me. They just are, which is why I love Arcane. Um, But for Kill a Kill specifically, it's this idea of being comfortable with who you are. 
who you are and the body you're in that is very difficult to kind of grapple with. Because I have, I have imposter syndrome and a little bit of that dysphoria aspect as well. I've always been a bigger guy. Yeah. Always been kind of overweight. Still am. I'll say now, Still for, working on it. for me personally, like on that side, for the longest time, I was a big guy. Um, yeah, no, we both were. Yeah. I was 300 pounds at one point, and so yeah. were you. Yeah, I was. That, that was that was the day I literally went and decided to get fixed and literally went to the doctor one day because I was having a flu or something. I don't know, but they have to go through a checkup and everything. Mm-hmm. I'm, I still remember walking into the doctor, looking at the scale. It said 300. I looked down and very audibly yelled, fuck. <laughs> and then got my meds and everything from the doctor. Did not go, actually did not go to pick up my prescription. I immediately went to the gym, signed up for a membership, then went home. I was like, okay, so that's a problem. Yeah, for me, it for me, the, my weight problems are just so wrapped up in this kind of neur, this neurological problem. A lot of because ne- I've always had a bit of a psychological tick, and it's strange. And my main coping mechanism is food. Oh yeah, mine was the same. Just. I, I, I eat my feelings. <laughs> I've always been that way. And that, that's how I've been too. I will say that the... You know, I can I can be sad or I can have an entire box of Little Debbie Swiss Cakes. Um, See, that, you know. that was, Little Debbies were always one of my Achilles heels. That, um... One of the hardest or things... the entire bag of Hershey's Hugs, because I need a hug. <laughs> uh, the one that always got me is like, cool, where'd half a bag of pretzels go? Oh, wait, me. <laughs> yeah. And I still have this problem even today. But, you know... The way the way Kill a Kill approaches it is, you know, with a sword. <laughs> yeah. But also, why can't we solve more problems in life with a sword? Dear God, a sword <laughs> or a giant robot? Come on. But it's it's always more comforting to see, you know, these protagonists that are that are struggling with their own inner demons. You know, they're struggling with, you know, where do I fit in all of this? And I think that's why I like. Ryuko so much and I like and I really like you know Jinx and I like Vi and I really like you know Anakin Skywalker these characters whose central central conflict is all internal it's not external yeah their entire problem is with themselves <laughs> and I love this kind of character that's fair like I, I on a level resonate with that not as much as you more so like you have the like for me like you have the internal problems but finding a way to deal with it externally as opposed to internally is kind of more relatable to me, I guess. Or just how I'm used to managing it. So I think in the interest of time, we should skip our number fives and just go straight to number six. Let's go to the last one? Okay. Yeah. So for you, you wrote down, and I'm going to make fun of him for this, uh, is Fast and the Furious. Yes! Which... Um, I've not seen very many of them, and the ones I'm, I've seen, I've been like, this is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So yes. I need you to justify okay. this for me. Yes. The plot, dumb as hell. Absolutely stupid. But that's not the takeaway I take from it. So the biggest takeaway I take from it is back to what we talked about earlier, which is the found family. Because mm-hmm. it's it starts off with you have... I don't know if any you have you ever seen the movie Point Break? Nope. Nope. Okay. Basically, so the plot for the first first Fast and Furious is cops plant uh, your main character, your POV character, um, 
Paul Walker, as an undercover cop trying to uh, invade, sneak in, um, implant, infiltrate. I, infiltrate, that's the word I'm looking for. Infiltrate the street racing area around here. And you see him building that relationship with the, I guess, portrayed at the start of the movie, the antagonist, Vin Diesel character, Dominic Toretto. But you see that relationship building to where you see uh, Brian having like that conflict within him of, is it because it's like, am I really in the wrong here? Or is he really in the wrong here? Am I doing the right thing by trying to turn these people in? Because he falls in love with Dom's sister and he starts to see Dom as like an older brother figure of the family that he just never had. So he's kind of facing that conflict with it. And at the end of the first movie, they have one last street race and Dom's car gets wrecked, gets hit by a truck, and Brian gives him the keys to his car still running to just get, to let him go, to get away from the cops, and basically cost him his career. Mm-hmm. Cost him his job, he's now on the run from the law, and he let Dom go, and they come back to that in the fourth one, it's like, why did you let him go? He said because he felt that at the time, because Dom had a code that he lived by and everything, he felt that he was a better person than him at the time, and he deserved to have that chance to go free. You heard that in the background? That was the sound of the cat probably knocking something over. Yep. But then it moved on to probably the one that stuck with me the most, which was Fast Five, which... Brought together everyone in this whole big found family from the first four movies. And you see basically the people from Dom's life and Brian's life where it diverge come back together for one last heist. And they have to do this one last heist because... One last heist until the next last heist. Yeah, well, you know, the movie makes money. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I'm of the mind they should have... It could have honestly just... I love the idea that whatever director, whatever writer they have doing this, all right, this is the last one. And then the studio comes in and says, no, this made money. You're doing it again. Yeah, so every movie starts off just one more time. Look, I'm of the mind. They could have ended at Fast Five. Been perfectly fine. Would have been great. (laughs) So anyway, I'm sorry. Anyway, but that Fast Five, I feel, is the culmination of the found family because it's bringing together everyone from there and... You know, yeah, it's it's a fucking meme at this point of Dom and family. I get it. It's fucking dumb. I don't care. I love it. Thanos is strong, Captain. But is he stronger than family? family? Yeah, the memes. Ever, okay? It's dumb. That was great. I know, but I love it. And one of the other scenes, and uh, this, is, this is also the movie that introduced The Rock as one of the primary antagonists for it, as he is basically DEA coming after them. Well, halfway through the movie, Dom and them get captured by the rock and they're on the way you know get transported out they're ambushed by the actual main antagonist the head of the drug cartel well kills all of the rock's team so rpgs gunfire everything kills them all dom and the rest of them basically pull them to safety and they're going back to steal the money for revenge because they lost some of their guys too in this it's like like we're not gonna run away and then the rock who was trying to capture them like 10 seconds ago he's like no, I'll help you. It's like, why? He's like, I'm not going to let him get away with this either. He killed my men out there too. And just like 
I know the world doesn't work like that, but like that just quick, just camaraderie of just antagonists working together and something like that. That's resonates with me. That's always how that's resonates with me. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah, but like we're also my enemy. It could be either yeah, way. It could be either way. But that that feeling of just the found family and the camaraderie and stuff, that's that's just a message that always resonated with me. And I think as weird as it is, Fast and Furious did that the best. Interesting. I like the idea of the culmination of the of the found family. Yeah, because that that should. I also appreciate that you were like, no, they could have ended it here, and it would have been great. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, I will wholeheartedly say one. It's po- like Lost. Lost should have ended at season four. Yeah, they should have stopped there. Yeah, no, I, I wholeheartedly because the ending for because the ending of Fast Five was it was great. Like they said, everyone retired. They got their money, split their ways, and everything, and everyone was living life. It was it was a really good closing because honestly, they didn't know if they were going to get another movie, mm-hmm. but. The like I said, the found family and just like the the friends just working together all stuff, just the camaraderie of all of it is one of the things that just sticks with me the most. And I feel that that series, as dumb and over the top as it is, did it better than like any series. That's fair. See, I, I, I say I'm gonna make fun of them for it, but honestly I'm not. Because, you know, we've we've picked we picked dumb shit in here. Godzilla, I Pokemon the third movie, Gurren Logon, Kill a Kill, you know, Power Rangers. These are things that are dumb. Yeah. Objectively. Oh, objectively stupid, yeah. But everyone's going to walk away with a different something from any of them. So what is your number six on your list, sir? For me, it's Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. So I am a big Star Wars nerd. And Cause for me, it's because you secretly just want to get the, um, uh, the Youngling Killer 3000, right? Yep. For me, Star. I grew up with the prequels. Yeah. If we, if you tuned into our previous episode, you know yeah. this. If we talked about, it, I could go on. I could go on forever. But high level summary: Why Revenge of the Sith for me? All right. So, and I, and why didn't I put this when I was much younger? Because when I saw Revenge of the Sith, I was just getting into high school, so it would have been technically a younger movie for me. And you probably saw it and appreciated it more for the spectacle at the time back yes. then. Yes, at the time it was definitely a spectacle. But as I've gotten older, and I've, you know, acquired more world knowledge, and I watch this movie and I see what's happening, I suddenly identify so much stronger with the tragedy that is truly going on in this in this modern day tragedy. Because that's what episode three is. Yeah. Um, it's modern day Shakespeare. Yeah, we're watching this young man who's trying to come into his own in a system that doesn't necessarily want him to, or it's not moving at his progression. Count, so, du- Count Dooku was right, changed my mind. <laughs> so for me, the, and, and the, every time I watch episode three in my adulthood, the more I take away from it. Each time I walk away with just this new revelation. So for Anakin, I see so much of my early, like just post-graduating college trying to make my way in corporate America. And it's just not moving at the speed that I need it to. I need to move up. And, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying to do, I'm trying to get exposure. I'm trying to do this thing and just, that's not how life works. Nope. You have to put in the time, but that's not quick enough for me. I need it now. So grappling with that 
is something that you know episode three kind of put it on the screen and i'm like oh i see how this is how this is exactly like me um the next thing politics just in general and how how democracy is not lost in a grand sweeping motion like it 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 is lost gradually through procedure like it's it's not a military coup that happens very often it's democracy deciding you know we want to invest power in a dictator that's how germany fell that's how germany fell into nazism that's how uh Russia fell into fell into its own dictatorship. Um, no, that was an actual coup. They they no they they murked the fucking uh, Romanovs. Lenin was going to establish an actual democracy, but Stalin killed. Well, no, Lenin put Lenin a, put Lenin in a bad spot Lenin and had, then killed everyone else. Lenin had a stroke. Yeah, no, Lenin died, and then Stalin just said, "Okay, well, why not me?" Everyone said no, and then he pulled out a gun and killed them all, and said, "Why not me?" And then everyone said, "Nope, sounds good." <laughs> Um, you know, democracy ask, is fragile and needs this. to be protected. How much has your view of this changed due to the addition of Clone Wars? Clone Wars, so Clone Wars just makes it so much deeper. I'm saying, seeing, get seeing the, the I'll say, you see the bridge yes. from there to the end. Because I, because I, I feel like the prequels are only strengthened by the existence of Clone Wars. Because, you know, it's the reason why we don't why we don't really like episode seven and eight. Nine is terrible, objectively. Forget it exists. The reason we seven and eight are so hard to accept is because the is because Disney basically yada yada over forty years of stuff that we needed to see. What is the first order? Where did it come from? Why is it here? You know, we we don't know any of that. The First Order is just, oh, it's the Empire 2.0. Apparently. Didn't Episode 6 end with the Empire destroyed? Forget about it. It doesn't matter. We're just, we're, we're watching this. You know, whereas Episode, the bridge between Episode 2 and 3, it didn't need that so much because we knew where it was going. We knew this was the story of Anakin Skywalker, right? Yeah. This is the story of... Clone Wars, it's the story of Anakin Skywalker. Whereas, you know, the sequel trilogy is supposed to be the story of Rey, I think. But it's also the story of Kylo Ren, which is the much stronger through line. No, it's the story of the mouse house making that money. But we also don't know where he came from. We didn't we didn't see the critical element of Kylo Ren, which is we needed to see how he came into the world. Why does he have the ideology he has? Dude, do we we get about, that with Anakin. Dude, what are you talking about? We got one flashback and like two comics. Wasn't that enough? <laughs> we needed to see it on the screen is the problem. You know, whereas we get all of that in one, two, and three. One and two do a okay job of establishing Anakin Skywalker. Who was he? Well, he was a 10-year-old, a slave on a backwater planet who is suddenly swept into swept into the galaxy a, a hero. Then in episode two, we see him, you know, how are we it sets up his fall. How is he gonna fall? Because he's brash, he's emotional, he he loves people, and he can't deal with this. He can't deal with these repressed emotions inside of a uh, a Jedi Order that is asking him to just let go of those things. He can't. He needs these connections. 
and we can see that building and building and until it eventually leads to him massacring sand people because they killed his mother. You know, this is all things that, you know, we as an audience go, of course, that's what's what was going to happen. But, you know, it's the whole, yeah, we have the benefit of the fourth wall. But it that is a much stronger setup for the fall that we got in episode three rather than in episode nine where they're trying to set up the reverse. They're not trying to set up the fall. They're trying to set up the redemption. But it doesn't feel earned because we didn't know who Kylo Ren was before he was Kylo Ren. We didn't know who Ben Solo Dude, was. Episode nine as a whole wasn't earned. Yeah, like we didn't know who Ben Solo was. We didn't know who Snoke was. We don't know how he got to here. Also, so it's hard also, for... Head- we don't know what there is to be redeemed is the problem. Also, headcanon... All those fucking Star Destroyers at the end of nine, they're just they're just fucking staffed by Snoke clones. No, I think it's even better. They're actually all cardboard cutouts. The whole fleet is fake. It's just all cardboard cutouts, and there's just like one big engine flying the thing, and he's just gonna go, okay, so if I park this over a planet, they're gonna be too afraid to do anything. But we have to make at least two of them real with the death, the death star. Well, yeah, you got to have some real. They won't buy that all of them. But yeah. as long as you, as long as you, you make an example every now and then, God. they'll they'll work. God, that fucking entrance was so fucking stupid. <clears throat> but and then this all culminates. So episode three, and it all culminates into this final epic battle for the soul of the galaxy between Anakin and Obi Wan. Which and is it, one of, like, and the it's best. a heartbreaking fight because Obi-Wan sees Anakin, you're my brother. I, I've i brought you up as best as I could. I, I taught you what I could, everything I could. And for Anakin, this is just, yes, but you didn't give me the one thing I needed, which was simply empathy. <laughs> once, I once, just needed you to understand. Once again, a lot of this probably could have been solved with the conversation. <laughs> yes, but... And that's what a lot of Star Wars is. It's teaching us power structures don't necessarily reply well to the needs of people. That's the grand narrative. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can't really argue that. Like I said, all the series and stuff have a different effect on everyone. I have my Fast and Furious. I know where it stands. Also, just the exorbitant love of cars I have mechanic for like eight years so i like space wizards and laser swords yeah <laughs> i keep trying to let them and little monsters i can put into balls on my belt i keep trying to let them put uh install nitrous on their cars they don't let me i wish i didn't have to skip over arcane i want to do an entire episode on just arcane though <laughs> <laughs> well we will probably have to save that for our one of our next episodes because look at that we're at an hour Hey, we did it. Oh, yeah. We're getting so better at the timing on this. Well, for all of you out there who listened, I This assume, one might actually be posted. I know. For all of you out there listening, the all, I'm assuming, like, five of you. Please. Three. Oh, okay. <laughs> you and me, and maybe your brother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, me, the one person we send this to. Yep. Uh like to uh, thank everyone for joining us. I have been Matt and I'm Stefan and we will (laughs) will catch you all next episode. Thank you.